0: I lift up these that have been mentioned, um, Katie Beth in particular, she ventures out to go to Baylor and her life is before her. I pray for your guidance and direction. And Father, we pray for Paula and CR and others in our midst who are hurting physically and in desperate need of a touch of healing from you. Lord, I lift them up and I pray that you would indeed touch them and make them well. Father, we, uh, we again come before you this morning and thank you for the privilege of coming together, for worshiping together, for studying your word, the freedom that we have to do that. So, Father, we thank you. And we lift up this time and we uh, give it to you as an act of worship, that we are here to celebrate this time and to worship and to study. And, and Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us as we look into your word and Father, the Spirit would take the words that are spoken and the words that we see in the scriptures and that you would pierce our hearts with them, that you would change our lives and make us to become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you all be seated. I think I've mentioned to you before one of the, my favorite daydreams. And I know you don't daydream, but I do. And I'll, I'll sit around and... And think sometimes, have you ever thought about what it would be like if that guy from the publisher's clearinghouse would come to your door? I want to see that great big check, you know, the one they carry to the door, you know, for X number of millions of dollars. Now, I don't play the lottery, but if I did, and I dream about this, hitting the lottery. You know, you hear about these guys hitting the lottery and you, all the multi-millions of dollars that they... They get out of the lottery and, and you wonder, boy, what would I do with that? You know, how could I? And we always think of good things, don't we? You know, I would do so much good and I'd give to the church and I'd give to missionaries and I'd do all these things. Truth being, probably most of us would get it and those would be the last things we think about. We would spend that money so fast on something else. Now, let me ask you this question. I know that you think about something along these lines. Everybody thinks and and dreams about hitting it big someday somehow and having all the money they need. Um, Do you think of yourself as a greedy person? Now, I'm I'm just asking. I'm asking you to to, to interact with me here as far as your personal feelings about yourself. Do you think that you personally are greedy? Um, I I ask this question because a lot of times... We as Christians, if we have a desire for more, if we want money, if we desire this and and so forth, we're often accused of being greedy and we shouldn't do that. But I'm not too sure that that's the truth. Um, I think that it's more along the lines of need. A lot of times people that are struggling and just trying to make ends meet and pay the bills and put food on the table... They're the ones that are dreaming about this sort of thing. You know, they're the ones that are are having to struggle through life. And and I look at people and what I see motivating them a lot of times is the need in their life more than the greed in their life. Now, I know when I mention that word, we conjure up all kind of images. We see this. Old rich man sitting there with a cigar with all this money on the table before you. and He's wanting more, you know, he's wanting more. and That's the the image of greed that we think about. But I, I tend to think that for a lot of people, it's not that it's not the greed and trying to protect what you have and wanting more. It's more along the lines of need is driving me to feel this way. The things that I, I need in my life and just paying the bills and so forth is driving me to, to have these desires and want these things for my family. Now, here's the thing. Whether you look at it as being greed or whether you see it as being need, they both end up resulting in the same thing. For example, let's say you have all kinds of tremendous needs in your life financially and you're wanting money and you daydream about hitting it big and you think about how you can get more money and all these things and, and um, does that occupy your mind? Does it drive your thinking, you see? Does it, does it capture your attention, your affection? Is that all you can see? A lot of times that's the case. And so for us, even though we wouldn't say, well, you're greedy, no, we're, we're needy. But the result is still the same, and that is that I'm in in bondage to this financial need that I've got. You take a rich person and they want more. You know, somebody asked a rich man one time, how much is enough? He said, well, just a little bit more than what I got. Uh, I think that's true of a lot of people who have wealth. They just want a little bit more. And maybe, you know, we look at that and we think, well, yeah, that might be greedy. But the result is the same. Their lives are occupied. They're managed. They're controlled by this financial obsession that they have. And what they're doing is that they are in bondage. And either way, whether it's need or greed, I don't care. That's not the point. The point I'm trying to get at here at the beginning of this is that you understand that whether you are poor or rich, if this occupies your affection and your, your, your thoughts uh, and your attention, you're in bondage to that. It's controlling your life. And so as we look at this today, uh, some of you will say, well, this doesn't apply to me. I got all and I got money and I, I'm not in financial bondage. Well, that may not be the case. You may be as much in financial bondage as somebody that doesn't. And vice versa. You may be thinking to yourself, I don't have anything to be in bondage about. I mean, I, I, I need it, but I don't have it. Well, if it occupies your time and it cripples you and controls you, then yeah, you are. You're in bondage to it. I think this is what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He made this statement. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what he's saying is this, that wherever your treasure is, your affection, your attention, and your thinking is going to go to that. It's always going to be on your mind. But let me say this, let me turn it around if I could. That where your treasure is lacking, there will be your heart also. Because you have somebody that has no treasure, but they think about it all the time then they're no different, you see. They're still in bondage to it. So what I'm telling you today, it applies to all of us. Whether you are comfortable financially or whether you are in need financially, it doesn't really matter. Let's not make a distinction between greed and need because it ends up in the same place. Financial bondage. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. Do you know that there are over 500 verses in the Bible that deal with prayer? There are a little less than 500 verses in the Bible that deal with faith. But when it comes to possessions and money, the Bible spends 2,000 verses on those subjects. 2,000 verses in all of the Bible that deal with your money and your possessions. Now, do you think that it's important Do you think that it's important to God what you do with your money, the way you spend it, the way you deal with it, whatever you do? Do you think that God cares? Well, I believe that he does. I believe that our finances are important to God. And here's what I believe. I believe, first of all, that God does not want his people to be in debt. I think that's important to God. I think that God wants you to use what you have wisely and not squander it or throw it away. I believe that God wants you to give generously. I believe that God wants you to work hard. I believe that God wants you to invest wisely, to not be greedy and want more than you need. I believe that God wants you to be honest, and I believe that He wants you to be responsible with what you have. I believe that God cares about your money. And we don't often think in those realms, because we don't think that God cares about money. That's just a physical thing, you see. We don't, that's not spiritual. But yeah it is too it really is as you look at the Bible it is it is spiritual and so for the next couple of weeks here is what I want to do you call it the mini series or whatever but we're going to be talking about financial guidelines in the Bible, the guidelines in Scripture concerning our finances. And I want to take a look at these things. I know we had all several years back the series by Dave Ramsey, and Dave covers this in detail. I'm not going to be covering things like that in as as much detail. I will put in a plug, though. We've talked about this in the elders meetings, and we're thinking about this fall when we start Awana, that we're going to offer on Wednesday nights the Dave Ramsey series to try to to hit those folks to bring their kids into of then leave. So if you're interested in that, we're going to try. Now get this, we're going to try. We don't know if we can or not. We're going to try to offer it at no cost. Now this is about a $90 or $100 deal for each person. So this is going to get a little pricey, but we're working on how we're going to do this. But we really want to offer this to the to the community, really. But um, we think that it's that important that we do this. So for the next couple of weeks, at least, we're going to be talking about these financial guidelines. And this is not a series on giving. Okay, I'm not here to talk about giving every week, although there will be a Sunday that I'll probably touch on giving at length. I'm not going to tell you when that is because I know you wouldn't come if, that, if you knew that. So I'm going to spring it on you one of these Sundays, okay? But we'll talk about that. Now, I want you to see some things about yourself in this. And there may be some things that you see in this as we go through this and think to yourself, I see something about me that I don't really like. I mean, that's a good thing, okay? It is a good thing that you and I can see things about ourselves that we don't like. Uh, maybe some habits you're in, some whatever. We can all see mistakes that we've made. Oh, heavens to Betsy, yeah, I can see mistakes I've made. I'd look back over my life and, and think to myself, how did I ever do that? Why did I, why did I do that? You know, we've all made those mistakes. But let me tell you something. This is not. My intent is not to condemn us. Okay? My intent is not to make you feel guilty or bad about how you've dealt with or spent your money. That's not the intent. The intent of what I'm doing is to try to encourage each one of us to bring our dealings financially in line with what God has laid down so that we can enjoy life the way God meant for us to. And I believe that if we can do that, we would be much happier people. I believe that we would be more generous. Uh, there's so, much thing, so many things, so many advantages, uh, so much that we could do if our finances were in order. I really do believe that. So as we go through this, this is what we want to do. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, like um, some people feel sometimes when the preacher starts talking about money, that that preacher has no right to talk about this. This is my personal area of life, my personal money. He has no right to even be involved in this or be talking about it. Well, let me tell you something. God put 2,000 verses in the Bible, and as a preacher, I'm not going to jump over them. So we got 2,000 verses that backed me up to say, you need to be talking about this. So this is important. And so we're not going to be looking at 2,000 verses. Just relax. But I'm just telling you that they're there, okay? So what we're going to be talking about today, though, as far as this particular message, is how to get out of financial bondage. We're going to be talking about getting out of financial bondage, whether you have it or whether you don't. That's not the issue. Remember that you're in bondage to it one way or the other. If it captures your attention, your affection and your loyalty and everything else, then you're in bondage to it, whether it be your need or your greed. Now, the point of this whole message is this. Now, listen very carefully. God does not want you to be in financial bondage. It's just that simple, that straightforward, that black and white. God does not want His people to be in financial bondage. I really believe that. And like I said before, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. I want to read this verse to you, or this passage. is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And Jesus is speaking, and here's what He says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, he's looking at money and God. And whether you have it or you want it is irrelevant. He said there's money and then there's God. And you are going to serve one or the other. It's very black and white. It's as if Jesus drew a line in the sand and said there's no middle ground. You're one or you're the other. Now, folks, think about this. Because there's a lot of people whose total lives are consumed with the Lord. They serve Him. They desire to to be close to Him. They use whatever resources they have to help out people in need, to help the church, to help missionaries, whatever. And then there are other people who just make a token gift every now and then to the Lord and His ministry, His work. And then they spend the rest of it on themselves. And they're given over. They're a slave to their finances and their money. And there's very little middle ground here. You're either one or the other predominantly. So when Jesus is talking about this, he's hitting a square between the eyes. And look, he's saying, you think that it's all yours, but it's not. You know, people, I encounter this so often. People will give money to the church And they'll think to themselves, look, I've given God what belongs to God, and now the rest is mine to spend as I want. And that is a lie. When we get on the subject of giving, we're going to see this, that what the giving is, what my tithe is, or my gift or my offering, however you want to term it. When I give it, it is a token recognizing God's ownership of it all, saying, Lord, I know that you own it all. And what I'm giving you back is like the first fruits in celebration of what you've given me and in honor of you. But you own it all. Now, unless you see that, unless you understand that, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to get in the habit of giving whatever little portion you give to the Lord's work and saying to yourself, the rest is mine to spend as I please. And God says, wait a minute, I've put 2000 verses in the Bible to tell you how to spend that money to tell you how to deal with it, to tell you how to save it, to tell you how to to invest it. All of these things. And you have no right to lay claim to it. See, this goes contrary to the way we think. We think once we get God off our back and give Him His portion, the rest is ours to do as we want to. And what we don't understand is that God holds us accountable. Accountable for the way in which we deal with this portion of wealth. That he gives to each one of us, whatever that may be. See, the problem with us is that we're irresponsible. We are. We are irresponsible and we get ourselves into financial trouble. If I could tell you, if, if, let me tell you, if I, could, if I could look into the finances of every person in this church and we were honest with each other, and I can tell you for past experience, this has been true of me in the past, we are irresponsible with what we do with our money and the way in which we, we use it, the way in which we spend it. And whenever we do that, we get ourselves into financial bondage because the creditors are after us. Everything's falling apart. Everything's coming in against us. And we are no different in the way we view money at that point than a rich man views his money. Whether it's greed or need, we're both in bondage. So as we talk about this today, I want to ask a couple of questions and then answer those questions. Like, for example, number one, how did you get there? How did you get there? How did you get into this bondage that you're in? Let me show you a couple of verses, okay? This is a portion of Scripture in Mark where Jesus is talking about the seed. The sower goes along and he throws out the seed. The seed is the word of God. And it falls on different kinds of ground. Now, we're not going to be looking at all these. I want to just pull out one. He said it falls on the stony ground. It falls on the ground and the birds eat it up. And then it falls on the thorns and it falls on good ground. I want to focus on that portion where he talks about the seed thrown among the thorns. Okay? Here's what it is. And he's saying that this is people. The seed is thrown onto people's lives. And because of the condition of the soil, they respond to the word of God in a certain way. In Mark chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, he's talking about the seed that falls among the thorns. He says, still others like seed sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, he's giving you a picture here. He said, the word of God falls on the lives of people. They hear it, but because of the condition of the soil, their lives, they respond differently. And when he pulls out for these folks, this type of soil and these people, he's saying it falls on the soil. They accept it. You know, they hear it. They want to do right. They want to grow in their faith. They want to walk with the Lord. But something happens. We're asking the question, how did we get in the condition that we're in? Well, he tells you. Now watch. First of all, how did it happen? Well, it happened subtly. Slowly. Nobody goes and says, I think I'm going to ruin myself financially. You know, nobody says to themselves, I think I'm going to get myself in financial bondage. What happens is it sort of creeps up on you. This idea of the thorns is where it comes from. He's saying there is seed that falls on ground, but there are thorns growing in your life. Subtle decisions that you make during the course of your life that mess you up. You know, you've got these bills and you say to yourself, you know what? I think I need a new pair of shoes or I need this or I need that. So I'm going to let this bill go. Just this one month, and I'll catch it up next month. I'll just need the money to put over here. And so we do that. And pretty soon we find that we can't catch up. It, ha- it happened slowly, subtly, like thorns in your life. And one day, all of a sudden, you wake up and you realize they've wrapped around you and they're choking you to death. You're, you're upside down in everything that you've got. And financially, you're underwater. You're going down. It's like choking you. And I know that you know how that feels. To be in that condition. The second thing that I want you to notice here in answer to the question, how did you get there? Is not only that it came upon you subtly, but you made the mistake of making money the source of happiness. Somewhere along the line, you got the idea that if I have money, I'll be happy. And so you chased after money. You chased after new things. You chased after possessions because it made you feel good. How many of you girls, when you get down and you get depressed, go buy something? You know, you know how that is. It makes you feel good. You know what? When I get down, I go to Bass Pro Shop. And I feel so much better when I come out of there. You know, we know how that is. Good grief. Look at this. In this passage, he says here that the source of happiness, he says here that the wealth... It is, verse 19, it says, But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things came in and choked the word. It was your desire for something more, you see. Because you thought that would make you happy. But not only that, there's something else here as far as talking about how we got into this this condition. You thought that your money would make you feel secure. And so you thought that if you could have more of it and you were obsessed with getting more of it, that somehow you'd feel secure. Notice what it says here. It says in verse 19, but the worries of this life, the worries, now get this, this person's worried about life, what am I going to do? And the deceitfulness of wealth came in and choked you. You thought that this was the answer to your problems. The worries of my life. So I go about trying to get as much money as I can in sometimes ungodly ways, unscrupulous ways. And sometimes I'm making foolish investments to get rich quick and what have you. And I get myself in trouble because I think that it's the source of happiness. And I think that it's the source of security for my life. How many of us don't think that? If I had money, I would feel secure. If I had money, I would be happy only to find that when you got it, it doesn't really change anything. These are some quotes from some of the most well-known billionaires in the world. John W. Rockefeller said this before he died. I'm, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. W.H. Vanderbilt said this, The care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. This is a quote from John Jacob Astor. I am the most miserable man on earth. Henry Ford said this. He said, I was happier when I was working as a mechanic. Andrew Carnegie said this. He said, millionaires seldom smile. It's not the answer. And yet we think sometimes that it is. And we get ourselves into financial problems when we chase after happiness and security, thinking that's that's the answer, and it's not. So what's the result? Well, the result is we end up head over heels in debt. We're chasing after security and happiness, and we find ourselves in debt. And every one of us have experienced that at some point in life. It kind of crept up on you slowly. You're chasing after the American dream, trying to do this, and you didn't have the resources for it, and you're in debt, and it chokes you like uh, vines of thorns. That's the way it does. Now, let me tell you something for the Christian, and this is true for anybody, but especially we're talking to the believers, the Christians, the people in church, God's people. Debt is your enemy. Debt's your enemy. And you are never, ever going to have financial security and to have control of your your finances as long as you choose to stay in debt. It can't be done. How do I define debt? Well, spending more than you have. When you spend more money than you have to spend, you're having to get it from some place. Be it credit cards, bank notes, whatever, second mortgages, I'm going into debt in order to get the money that I feel that I need to feel secure and happy and have the things that I want. And then you wake up one day only to find that you can't breathe. We're slaves to debt. Listen to this. Proverbs 22, verse 7. It says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. First Timothy, chapter six, verses nine and ten. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money. Now, notice it says the love of money, not money, but the love of it. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now look at this very closely because he says, look, you chase after it. And if that's what you think is going to bring you happiness, you're going to fall into all kinds of traps. This is what we're talking about. Getting into debt, you can't get out. Your love for money is the root of all kinds of evil. And this last part here. People eager for money have wandered from the faith. And he's talking about the Christian doctrine. The faith, when it's talked about in the Bible, the faith, is talking about the teaching of Scripture. Christian doctrine. He said you've wandered away from that. You're no longer being obedient to that. And now your life is a mess. And folks, you know as well as I do, because some of you are there right now or have been in the past. You have let yourselves get into debt to such a degree that that's all you can think about. Your faith kind of goes by the wayside. You don't come to church. You're not involved because all you can think about is finances and getting out of debt. You know, research has shown that most families spend 10% more than their income level. Most families spend 10% more than what they got. So where are they getting it? Where do you get the 10% more than what you bring in in the course of a month or a year? Most of us get it on credit cards. This is the scourge of the earth as far as I'm concerned. Credit cards, the only thing I can say to you is cut them up. You may think that's crazy, but have you ever checked out the interest you're being charged? I don't even know how it's legal. To me, it's a robbery. Over the years, when Deb and I were younger, we did this. I think some of you do it too. You run up a credit card thinking you can pay it off next month. It's easy. I'll get it next month. And pretty soon, you are thousands of dollars in debt, and you can't even pay the interest. And I'm going to tell you right now, and I told my, my kids this when they you know, began to leave home. Do not get a credit card. My daughter needed, you know, she was having car trouble up in Indiana and stuff. Okay, if you get a credit card, she didn't have any money, get a, get, you have a limit. And you make them stick to the limit. It's a $300 limit. You use it in case of emergency until you can get some money in the bank, that type of thing. But folks, I'm telling you what, I've learned from experience. If you have credit cards, listen, I know people who borrow from one credit card to pay the debt on the other credit card. I mean, that's how this thing mushrooms. You you can't live like that. And when you do, you know very well what that parable means about the thorns wrapping around and squeezing you to death. That's how you feel. So I would say to anybody that has a credit card, you need to get rid of it. So what's God's answer? What is God's answer to debt? You know what God's answer to debt is? Very simple, one word. Control. It's that simple. You and I have got to learn to control our spending. Now, we don't like that. We don't like that. We don't like for anybody to tell us that we have to slow down. We're chasing the American dream. We deserve this. Look, I I work hard. I do this and that. I deserve what I'm about to buy. Well, not if you can't afford it. You don't deserve it. But that's a hard thing for us living in America to understand. Restraint. How would your life be different? How would your life be different if you weren't in debt? Think about this. Well, let's think. Well, first of all, you wouldn't have all those worries. You'd be able to lay down at night and sleep. There wouldn't be any pressure on you. You wouldn't have to worry about the bills coming in. You wouldn't have to worry about the phone calls from the creditors. You wouldn't have to worry about going out to to eat sometime and giving your credit card and having it denied. Life would be so much better if I wasn't in debt. You know what I believe? I believe that if you weren't in debt, there'd be less tension and fighting in your marriage, too. Over the years, I've done a lot of marriage counseling. And um, I've got to tell you that the predominant problem within marriages that are having struggles, when you get right down to it, is they're fighting over money. The lack of it, you do this with it, I want to do that with it. We can't agree. We fight. Money's the issue. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to have a marriage where you don't have to fight or worry about money? Boy, the blessing of God on your life. How would that be? Not to feel guilty? Because you know what? I know from experience in past years, I know what it's like to feel guilty over being in debt. Because you know that before God, this is not the best thing. This is not right. Let me read you this verse. It's in James chapter one, verse twenty five. And if you may think, well, this is kind of an odd verse. But listen, let me apply this. OK, James is talking and he says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've learned, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. Now, the perfect law, he's looking at New Testament teaching. The perfect law that brings freedom. He's saying, look at what the Lord has given. What the apostles have taught us. He's saying, whoever looks into the perfect law that gives freedom, and you continue in it, in other words, you obey it, you don't forget what you've heard, but you do it, man, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. If I take that and apply it to my finances... And I say to myself, God, what do you want me to do with the money that I have? How do I deal with this? What do I do with it? And I make, it a, I make a commitment that I'm going to walk according to the Scripture. And that I'm going to live life God's way in that realm, in my financial life. They will be blessed in what they do. Folks, I want that, don't you? Do I not want the blessing of God on every area of my life? You cannot ignore your finances. You think that somehow God's not interested in that part of your life. He is very interested in that because he knows that it affects every other part of your life. And so the finances are a key issue. All right, very quickly, how do you get out of debt? Three things I want to share with you this morning. This is not an exhaustive list. There, are, when, we, when we start with Dave Ramsey, Dave covers it in depth, I'm going to give you uh, just three things that come to mind. How do I get out of debt? Number one, you have to decide what your standard of living will be. You're going to have to decide what your standard of living is going to be. Now, here's what I mean by that. You cannot live above your means. And if you are content... To live with a $30,000 job, God bless you, just don't live as though you're making 40000 You have to decide that this is what I bring in, this is my standard of living, I have got to be content with that, or else change it. Do not think that you can bring in X amount of dollars and live like you bring in more than that. You can't do it. You'll never get out of debt. Look at what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. The writer of Hebrews says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have Because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. In other words, he's saying, look, the Lord's there. The Lord's with you. If you are content with living at at, at this level for right now because of whatever, maybe you you decided that, you know what, mom needs to stay home with the kids. God bless you. If they're young, then mom's going to stay home with them. And we only bring in X amount of dollars. We've got to live at that level and be content with that. And stop trying to live above your means. Look at this verse, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul's talking, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through, through Him who gives me strength. Now look at what he's saying here, folks. I have learned to be content with the amount of income that I have. Whether it's a lot or a little, whatever circumstances are in his life, he says, I'm going to be content there. I'm not going to live above that. And when I tell you that you've got to decide what your standard of living is going to be, this is what I'm talking about. That you learn to be content with what you have coming in. Now listen to very carefully to what I'm about to say. God does not say you have to stay there. God does not say that if this is what you have, that this is your lot in life, now stay there and be happy. You can change it at any time. You just can't live above what you bring in. So if I want to change my circumstances, I can. I can go back to school, get a degree to make more money. The kids get out of of the house, mom can go back to work. They're in school. We did this for years. Deb worked while the kids were in school, but she came home when they got home because that was important to us. They did paper routes. She did wallpaper jobs. She cleaned houses while I was in school or, where, or even in early years of ministry. That's the plan. You see, we had a plan. It may be that you're needing to change jobs to make more money. Then do that. If that would raise your income level up, then do that. Get that promotion that's available. Then go after it. There's any number of things that you can do. God's not saying be content and never change it. God's just saying that while you're there, if this is where you choose to be, be content. And don't live above your means. Vitally important. Stop chasing the American dream. It is a lie. Live within your means. And if you're not content there, can't live there, then change it. But whatever that income level is, you live within that and be content. And if you don't, your life will never change. You will always be in debt. Here's the second thing you're going to have to do. You're going to have to develop a reasonable plan for your finances. If you're going to get out of debt, you're going to have to develop a reasonable plan for your finances. Now, notice I said reasonable. My son lives over in Midlothian, about an hour, a little over an hour from here. And, you know, his he and his his wife has, has gone back to work now. The kids are in school. She's a school teacher now. And he's a detective over there for the sheriff's department. And and so, you know, school teacher and law enforcement. incomes are, are pretty set. Um, they went to on Wednesday nights, their church offered the Dave Ramsey course. The first time they'd ever seen this. So they go through this Dave Ramsey course, and I was talking to Joan, his wife, right about the time they were ending this. And, and he was just eating it up, you know. She said, good gosh, I've got envelopes everywhere. And he won't let me spend any money. He has got me on a budget, you know. He had to loosen up a little bit. He went a little, a little bit overboard with it. But when I say reasonable, this is what I'm talking about. Something that you can live with. Something that's within means, something that you can achieve, not something pie in the sky that you get discouraged because you can't do it. It has to be something workable, something that you can do. A reasonable plan. Number one, cut those credit cards up. Folks, I I know it's hard. And, and I tell people this. If you are committed and you can pay that off every month so that you're not paying interest, then fine. But if you're like a lot of people and you can't do that and you let it accrue, cut it up. It's killing you. And Ramsey talks about this. Go to the envelope system. Keep the cash. And when the cash is gone, don't spend any more. It takes discipline. Discipline. I remember when we did the Ramsey thing here a couple of years ago. And part of the way through this, he says, if you are watching this and you need to have a credit card cutting up party. And so sometimes we at the end of that thing would ask anybody that's willing to cut the credit cards up and have scissors up here, And we had several people come up and cut up all the credit cards. Let me tell you something. They said later, it's the best thing they ever did for their finances. You cannot get out of debt if you keep a credit card that you cannot pay off every month. That's just black and white, folks. Developing a reasonable plan. If you do have credit card debt, and most people have numerous cards and astronomical amounts on each one. Pay off the one that you owe the least on, whatever it takes If you can put money toward it, extra money. Say, how am I going to get extra money? Well, don't go out to eat for a year. It won't kill you. Do you know you go out and spend probably $150, $200 a month eating out? If you can't afford it, don't do it. People still live. And you take that money, that couple of thousand a year, and you chunk it toward the credit card debt that you've now cut up. And folks, pretty soon you've got one paid off. And then you double down on the next one and you pay it off. Until pretty soon it's like a snowball. Ramsey calls it the snowball effect. It's like going downhill, getting bigger and faster. And things are paid off before you know it. People have done it. It can be done. It just takes some effort. If you need extra income, then go work a part-time job. Make a plan. I'm going to bring in an extra $50 a week to pay off these debts so that we can get out of debt. That's our goal in a year, to be out of debt with these credit cards, to be done with them and never go back. Your long-range goal, to go back to school or to get a job, you need to have that written down somewhere. Now, let me tell you something. Within Christianity, a lot of Christians are just lazy. I know that hurts. Some people just don't want to work. Some people don't want to put forth the effort. It's too hard. That's got to change. Our year life will never change. So, those of you that are not willing to work or don't want to take the time to put forth the effort, I don't know what to do to help you. But you have to put forth the effort. Some people have given up. Listen to this. Money magazine declared money was the number one obsession of Americans. Newsweek reports there is a new uh, plane of consciousness called transcendental acquisition. The cover story of a 2001 uh, magazine tells of a woman saddled with debt who charged a diving trip to French East Indies instead of trying to pay or or trying to break free from the debt she's in. It's as if she's given up. And she said this, quote, I've spoiled myself and I can't change my habits. Some of you are there. Some of you gave up a long time ago. You're content to, to, to live within that hell on earth of being locked in like that. And I know that it hurts. But somebody has to tell you that you either get up and go work an extra job or you bring in income some other way and you pay it off or you will never, ever feel any different. And there's no way out of it other than just hard work and a reasonable plan. Very quickly, number three is this last thing I want to share with you. How do I get out of debt? I've got to keep my life in perspective. I've got to begin to back away and look at the things that really are important and the things that matter. We put too much stock in possessions. This is the reason we go buy things on impulse. The reason we go buy things we can't afford. I've got to start looking at life and saying, what's really important? If my kids are important to me, then stop spending away their future and start investing the money in them. Start doing something to save the money to help them. Um, There's a lot of things that are more important than spending money and having possessions. Listen to this. This is a story. One day, a very rich uh, financier, a, 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 a merchant, was visited by an angel. The angel said to him, "If I want to get you, I'm going to grant you one wish, what would that one wish be?" And the man said to him, he said, "I would like to have a copy of The Wall Street Journal one year in advance." And his plan was this. If I can get next year's copy of the Wall Street Journal on this date, a year from now, I will be able to look and to see what the stock market has done. Wouldn't you love to have that? Your, are you, would you love to have that? I would love to know what the stock market is going to do a year from now. But he said, I'll do this. I'll get this and I'll find the stocks that will be way up a year from now and I'll buy those. And I'll make a killing. So the angel gives him the newspaper big old thick Wall Street Journal. He combs this thing for hours and he looks at all the stocks and he comes up with his plan. He has a sheet this long of the stocks that he's going to buy as soon as the market opens. And he's thumbing through the rest of the paper and he comes to the obituaries and lo and behold, there's his name. (laughs) One year from today, you'll be dead. And all of a sudden, all the things that he wrote down on the sheet, he just tore them up and threw it away. Because all of a sudden it didn't matter anymore. Folks, listen to me. The things that we spend our lives on, the things that we think matter, the possessions, they don't. And somehow you've got to change the way you think and stop looking at life as though it's all about acquiring possessions. And start looking at the things that are of value, real value. And put your time and your effort in those. So three things that you've got to do if you're going to get out of debt. Number one, you have to decide what your standard of living is going to be. You've got to come up with a reasonable plan and you've got to keep your life in perspective. Otherwise, folks, you'll never be out of debt. I promise you. I pray that all of us will do that. I pray that as we go through these next few weeks, and this is only going to be three or four weeks, as we go through this, that we'll look into the Scriptures and we will begin to say, you know what, if I put into practice... What the scriptures say about finances, life has got to be better. Life has got to be better. And it's my prayer that you will do that. You know, if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ, then, you know, the Bible talks about how that each one of us is a sinner and that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. And when you put your faith in him, he gives you as a free gift eternal life. He says to you and me that if we will turn to Him and trust Him as our Savior, put our faith in Him, to believe that He died as a payment for us personally, that God gives to us eternal life. I want to invite you to do that. I'm, let's just close our eyes, bow our heads, and close our eyes as we bring the service to a close. You know, if you're here this morning and you never put your faith in Christ, then now's the time to do that. Right there where you sit. Turn to God in faith. Lord, I believe. I believe that You died on a cross for me. That You paid for all of my sins. And that by trusting in that, by believing that, that You give me as a free gift eternal life. It's that simple. If you have questions, want to talk about this further... There's a yellow card in front of you there and a seat in front of you. Just fill it out and drop it in the plate. I would love to talk with you more about that. For all of us, my prayer is that each one of us as a believer would stop long enough to see and ask the question, God, what do you want? What do you want from me and my money? How do I, well, How do I deal with it? How do I handle it? Lord, show me. If you make a commitment to walk with God through this series, if you'll make a commitment to say, Lord, I'll do it your way, I really believe your life will change. But this is going to take some effort. It really will. I pray to God that we'll all make that effort. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you this morning, Father, some of us are feeling guilty because we know that we've mismanaged what you've given us, what belongs to you. Father, some of us, Lord, have our finances in order and. We're walking with you and we're not like the seed thrown among the thorns. Our lives are free from that. Father, I pray that whatever the circumstances, that each one of us would be faithful with the money that you've given us. And that, Father, we would see it as belonging to you and not to us. And as we do, that, Father, we would indeed spend it and invest it and deal with it and handle it and give it the way that You've told us. And as we seek to pattern our lives according to Your Word, that You would indeed, as the Scripture says, bless us. Father, that's our desire, that we have Your blessings on our lives. So, Father, that is our prayer. That as we get our finances in order, that Your blessings would come upon our lives as never before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.